Welcome to They Live by Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I'm Adam Lundy, joined as always by my co-hosts Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Hey guys, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good, excellent. Can't complain. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday indeed. We always record on Sundays for our listeners if we've never mentioned that before, so... Nice That's easy right. Sundays for us. <laughs> the the Church of Cinema. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks. Have you guys watched anything, picked up anything that you want to shout out before we get into the nitty gritty? Uh yeah, actually I uh I went to the theater recently and I just I need everyone to go see this movie because I need to talk about it with somebody. But I wanted to go see Megan. And I was just like, well, I'm at the theater. I can go see the nine o'clock show. I was like, what's playing at seven? Uh, there's this movie that is called The Devil Conspiracy that has one of the worst posters I've ever seen. And it has some of the most mixed ratings I've seen from a movie in a while. Don't know anything about it going in. And it is one of the craziest experiences I've had in a movie theater in like a while. So th- this whole thing plays out as almost like this, like, uh, so... this <laughs> Christian like um, Flash of the Titans type thing. So it it takes itself so incredibly seriously about like these rich people uh, using cloning to uh, bring back the like um, people from the past, like Michelangelo and Vivaldi and all of them and sell these babies to like the highest bidder. And at the same time, there's this plot about how, you know, eons ago, Michael, the Archangel Michael, like kept Lucifer into like this area and it plays as this like adventure movie of Satan trying to get free and do all this crazy job. And it is really well, decent production. Like I'm shocked. It has the budget. It does because it actually doesn't look bad. Like from a production standpoint, the movie's just bonkers, hundred percent bonkers. It's like a, a dark CW R rated CW type uh, thing of like supernatural. <laughs> and I just need people to go see it because I, I'm I'm amazed by it. The poster looks fucking dreadful. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it sounds like it could have been made by like a, a cousin of Zulowski or something. <laughs> In a way. Uh, the closer I think about it, it's more like Constantine, like Keanu Reeves' Constantine is okay. maybe a, a decent comparison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to be catching that one, Zach, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Ah, man. You had the best time in a movie theater. <laughs> Go bring your pals in. Go to the theater. Go get drunk. It, it's it's the best time you'll have all year. <laughs> are you on? Are you on Team Megan, Zach? I like Megan. Megan's fun. I enjoyed it a lot. That one's been fairly divisive as well, huh? Yeah, um, but you know, it. Uh, I, I had a good time. Like, I wish it was R-rated, but I understand. You know, they're taking a risk in January, putting a horror movie out anyway, and it's obviously paid off for them. I mean, it's been very successful in the box office, so. Hopefully on Blu-ray we'll get a unrated cut that has all the kills intact. But oh, nice! It's enjoyable. I had a I saw a funny meme yesterday that had a uh, Mike Tyson hugging Annabelle, and it said for the first time in her life Annabelle was scared. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, and no, I don't really have too much to report. I've been kind of it's been a busy work week uh, or work two weeks. I've been on the road. I was. From last, so for basically an entire week, I was just on the road between Montreal, Manhattan, and then upstate New York in Rochester. And so it's just not as fun seeing these movies in hotels rooms on on a phone. I mean, I, I, I've i been doing the film club stuff, 
uh, kind of the bare minimum just to be relevant with the, the different discussions and things. But I'm ready to get back into the year movie-wise here. So that's going to start this week. Well, I mean, you did get uh, right for a better uh, – what was the one? we Now I've forgotten the four-hour one we watched. Uh, brighter summer day brighter summer day there we go there's the word i'm looking for you were involved yeah. in that one so you know that you get full credit for that four hour one <laughs> thank you yeah that's a great airplane movie <laughs> what about you adam um yeah it's, it's kind of been a slow start this month for me just because again work and traveling and different bits and bobs um i saw uh, i've been again just kind of working through the sight and sound list like i have been sort of slowly plodding through since it came out um i saw imitation of life the douglas sirk film and i've only seen one douglas sirk film before it was magnificent obsession and i didn't really care too much about it i didn't really like you know it just it was just schmaltzy melodrama whatever uh, i wasn't too wasn't too fussed about it but imitation of life was a great movie so so good really really searing kind of uh drama um uh, really interesting race relations subplot stuff about motherhood, about class, all that kind of stuff. A really, really great film. It wasn't just your typical, you know, Douglas Sirk movie where an older woman loves a strong young book um, and breaks all the rules to be with him. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it was a really, really great film. I really enjoyed it. The ending was was phenomenal. And then I watched um, I watched one of the two Radiance films I got in, Big Time Gambling Boss. Uh, really awesome film. It's kind yeah. of like... Yeah, and I, I definitely understand the connection to the battles, uh, or the battles with honor and humanity, uh, but battles without honor and humanity. Um, I totally get that because when I watched that, I felt like it was The Godfather sped up times three, and I got the same vibe from Big Time Gambling Boss. It's just like, it has all the kind of classiness and pulpiness of The Godfather, but at like ninety minutes, so uh, which is always, which is always nice. So yeah, that was that was really good. I haven't gotten a chance to watch the Elio Petri one, the the working class go to heaven, um. But yeah, big time gambling boss is great. Shout out to to Fran and Radiance Films. Uh, the packaging is phenomenal. The the print is is amazing. Yeah. Haven't delved into the special features, but they look really good as well. So yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, picking up more Radiance stuff as time goes on. He did something yeah, clever. Did you? I know exactly. Did you see <laughs> the you know the British rating sign, the red kind of rating circle? Mm-hmm. Um, did you see that if he actually is on a separate sheet of paper, if you open up the packaging, you can actually remove that if you yeah, don't want to see it. Yeah, it's on that little side card thing. Yeah, a few yeah. a few companies kind of get around that by having the reversible imprint, uh, right? Co- covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. But imprint, but I know that, like, say with say with Arrow, for example, when they have a reversible sleeve, they'll only have the age rating on the main sleeve. If you reverse it, they remove the age rating. Yes. Um, so a couple of companies Indicator. get around it. Indicators, what I was thinking. I'm sorry. Yeah, and when I got my when I got my uh, uh, Wings of Desire Steelbook, that had the the age rating was only on the little overleaf paper okay. when once you took okay. that off the age rating was gone as well so nice. there's I, I like when companies find little ways to remove it although yeah, i'm exactly. used to it i've had I, I like i understand like with americans because <laughs> you guys don't have age ratings and stuff why it's weird to see it but i've just it's i've got my well, it's whole here. it's just like them, so this little thing right here that's what you get <laughs> yeah right see, i've gone my whole life with the with the circle and the age in it so i'm just kind of used to it now so it doesn't bother me <laughs> that's true Cool. So we get 
diving into this week's topic, this week's films. Yeah, works for me. You want me to introduce them? Yeah, yeah. Look, your picks, you, you introduce away. Okay. So this week, uh, I thought the way to go is to... I know, Chris, you have watched Possession. And Adam, this was your first dive into Andre Zulawski. Um, Mm -hmm. So these are actually his first two films and two of the films from the uh, what they call the Polish trilogy unofficially. Uh, There's plenty of companies that have put the two films we're talking about today, along with um, the Silver Globe, all on like a set together. Japan's done it. Uh, Eureka is the one doing it next. If I remember correctly, that was their their hint that they will be doing that. There is an Italian or uh, French company is going to be doing it and as we've been promised for about five or six years now mondo visions will be doing it though i mean we'll we'll see when that happens but it's still on their site that they are in production for it so the first one we're going to be talking about is his very first feature film which is the third part of the night and while i will say the uh the polish translation for the second one i will not say it for this one because there's no chance i get it right (laughs) um this was his 1971 film um set during the nazi occupation of poland in which uh, McCall, I guess that's how you say it, Michael, or is it Michael? I don't remember. Uh, witnesses the murder of his mother, wife, and child. He is hurled into a life of literally not his own, a surreal world littered with trapdoors, doppelgangers, and wormholes. It also tells the true untold story of Nazi vaccine laboratory where Jews and members of the resistance were employed as feeders for the parasites infected with typhus. I don't, I mean, that is all true. I'm not sure if that's how I would describe the film, but all of that is, in fact, true. Um, Adam, this was really your first introduction to Zulawski altogether, since me and Chris had a little bit of cheat in our life. So I want to hear your take on uh, his filmmaking. Wait, wait, wait. Um, before I, and I want to hear this, too. But Adam, you had not seen Possession? No. No, it's just not, it's just not available over here. There's no Blu-ray. It's not streaming anywhere. It just can't see it. No, that I'm just not. Sanity. That was the only one we had out here for years. It's the only yeah. one you could get available. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, poking at you for not seeing it. My, I just, it, I, I can't wait to see what you say because it was a nice intro for me. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> um, the third part of the night. This is. I, I definitely preferred this one to the second one, the one that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, really interesting. I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I obviously read the blurb. And it was like, okay, well, that makes no sense, but let's see what happens. Um, stylistically, it was kind of like the way I was sort of thinking it as this, as a film developed was like David Lynch making a Jean-Pierre Melville movie with a little bit of Tarkovsky thrown in. Um, there was like detective-y stuff, even though it's like Resistance and Gestapo and World War II. It, it felt kind of detective-y, felt kind of like that, but obviously intensely surreal. Uh, I've no idea what the film's about, no idea what really happens, uh, but I liked it. It was fun. It was a fun journey into something, madness, I don't know. <laughs> um, Hysterics it was a, is probably the best thing with Zolowski. All of his films, at least the ones this I've is, seen, are this terrible. Is, this, is what I ne- this is what I need to ask, and this is, was really evident in the next film we're going to watch, but like, like, why do his characters not just shut the fuck up screaming for like just five minutes? They're always uh, shrieking and that sobbing. That doesn't change. I'm telling you right now, that doesn't okay. change. That is, that is who he, like... I guess the best way I could describe it is kind of like a minor way of what like Cage talks about, like acting is not to be realistic. It is to convey emotion. It is to be expressive. And Zulawski just 
turns that up as far as he can to all of his actors. I mean, his yeah, wife yeah. is in the second one. We'll talk about her. He put her in an interesting position, and there's probably a reason he had to make that divorce movie for possession from the way it yeah. went. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, okay. um, but no, Zulawski is very much a energy guy. Like all of his stuff carries so much energy constantly, and it's exhausting. Like honestly, as I love all of, I love everything of his I've seen, but you were exhausted by most of the end of it, just because yeah. so much happens. And none of his sense. I kind of felt like this in possession, but especially in these first two. I feel like what happens if John Cassavetes takes speed? <laughs> because, <laughs> um, yeah, third part of well, I guess what what about you, Zach? What'd you think? Uh, I it, really like it, third part of the night. Uh, and I and I'm gonna try to keep this minor because Adam has not seen possession, and for anyone who hasn't. They feel very much like two sides of the coin. We talk about uh, third part of the night and you talk about possession. They do a lot of things similarly um, that I don't want to put too much into because it talks about the end of possession with it. But he, he uses similar types of horror for both of them. And they're both, I don't know, they feel very connected a little bit more than uh, Diabelle does, which we'll talk about a little bit. But with third part of the night, it makes no sense, but I'm okay with that. I've never watched the Zawoski film to understand what's going on. Um, even his ones that are a little bit more straightforward, which I guess is like possessions a little bit more straightforward. Like you kind of <laughs> get what's going on in a way, sort of. Um, his is a very much a vibe type movie. Um, and the best way I've ever thought to describe it is it's kind of like that moment, like when you're still dreaming, but you're halfway awake, like you're waking up in bed and you're going back and forth between reality and a dream. And that's always kind of how his films feel to me. Yeah, I, I was just getting apocalypse vibes from both, you know, and obviously I suppose it makes sense a bit more with the ending of the third part of the night, but um, yeah, just ap- apocalypse vibes, like the end of the world is happening right now, strap in, enjoy the ride, this is the end of the world, which makes sense, you know, for a film set, you know, during the Polish occupation, or the German occupation of Poland in World War Two, you know, I'm sure it very much felt like the end of the world um, to to a lot of people, Um yeah. And he, he keeps that around. Like we talk about Diabelle, you know, he keeps it with the um, occupation in Poland again, because that's sadly a habit in Poland. They get occupied a lot during history. Um, but even when you go to possession, you're talking about the Berlin Wall of Germany. Um, that's where that that takes place. Uh, it's a big part of the film in a way. Like, it's kind of funny. He puts these as major settings and I'm sure he's discussing them. And I wish I had more knowledge to see what specifically he's talking about with both films. But he's at least commenting on something. And but it's never like the main point. Like it's always like this very emotional journey. Like in the first one, it's you know, this guy's entire family's murdered in what, like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And that's really the point of the movie, even though it's like, yep, there's this Nazi Germany thing going on too. Um, which I find fascinating. Well, so I should just want to quickly jump in. The world puts this at the 5,000 best, best horror movie on They Shoot Zombies. Okay. And the 14,000th best um, movie, 14,328 specifically, uh, on They Shoot Pictures. Okay. Um, I think, you know, it was interesting. I, I was looking at the, the writer, and they share a last name, so I was digging into that a little bit. This was his dad's novel that he turned into a film. And knowing that, I think, kind of helped me. Like, I feel like Diabelle felt more like a Zulowski picture. 
And this was also very much like one of his, but you know, like the way that he used like that frenetic kind of crazy energy in the devil was, I think more what I was kind of expecting. It was like, he was finding his footing a little bit, but you know, he goes and does that in, um, in possession with better actors. Um, uh, Adam, for what it's worth, Isabel Ajani, I don't know if you've seen her in anything, but in possession, she absolutely crushes this role that requires uh, her and Sam Neill. Sam Neill actually does a good job too, but they're, I think they're a higher tier of actors and they, they handle this material better than than what they do in Diabelle. I know we're talking about third part of the night, but third part of the night was a little bit more understated and a little bit more, uh, you know, there's a little bit of chaos in the actor's eyes, but it wasn't quite to the same degree. Um, so I think he was, this is, you know, his first film. Uh, and I think some elements of that showed, uh, not in terms of quality, one thing that struck me in this as well as the other one is I think he's from the very beginning, I think he sets the the world up very clearly and very well. Like I immediately understood where we were at, what point in history we were at, you know, like I, I think he communicates those things very clearly. Um, the and, production uh, quality was fantastic in both the, yeah. like I was really, really impressed with the production value. Um, you know, I don't know, you know how much funding he was getting or or what have you but um the fact like he he essentially like you said he sets up the world and the and the, the the sort of time frame that they're in without question like you wouldn't look at this and think nah this looks fake or this doesn't look sort of realistic for it, it it's really really it's like just as good as like a hollywood production in terms of like setting up production of it like you know setting up your production design to make it look like you're in a particular you know, time. Um, it's uh, really, really great production values. Yeah. And it's it, his whole career is interesting anyway, because like, we'll get it more with Diabelle. Um, but the Polish government really, really didn't like him like at all. He was very yeah. critical of them. All, almost all of his films are very critical of Poland. Um, so like, for example, when we get Diabelle, it comes out a year after this, but it won't be released until the eighties. Um, because, and that's just, Part of what he deals with at that so i'm very curious where he got funding from because he wasn't very well liked in his home country from the sound of it so uh it is interesting because he i don't know if he's just doing a lot with a low budget or somebody just really liked him but it was something yeah yeah no for sure one thing i never quite understood uh, and i guess we haven't really talked about the the movie that much um in terms of like the plot and stuff but did y'all ever figure out what the third part of the night means isn't it kind of at the beginning where oh they're talking about it's been i, I didn't rewatch this i should have but there's a whole no, no, no. At the beginning about that right well they go through the third they go through the whole like kind of biblical sounding i'm sure I'm, I'm assuming it's from the bible but they go through it almost sounds like revelations or something where it's kind of like the end of the world type deal mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember, I don't, specifically, I don't think they use the phrase the third part of the night in that, though. I don't think so. I'm not that I recall. I was waiting yeah. for, because they were saying the third part of this and the third of yeah, that, yeah. but I don't recall them actually ever saying the third part of the night, whether it was cut off again. or, yeah. No, and and I, it, I mean, I guess it goes into what Adam was talking about, that it comes off very apocalyptic and what's going on. Yeah. I was trying to figure it out. I mean, 
like the this movie plays a lot with identity, right? Yeah. Cuz it it goes back like he, one of the big confusing kind of puzzles I think in this film is the fact that his wife is killed and and son and uh who else? Who are the three people that are killed? Was it his mom? No, who are the his three mother, people? Yeah, yeah, his mother, his wife and his son. Okay. And then he kind of goes into the city and then there's this interesting exchange with a new woman and a new son. And we have to try to figure out, like, it's almost like playing with reality a little bit, right? In the sense of like, because they, they, they throw these phrases in throughout the film that are kind of saying like, well, have you found a new family yet? Like, have you... This is why I, I definitely get sort of Lynchy vibes from this, and there's a there's a there's a small part of it that that crosses over into Diabelle, but I'll I'll try and keep things as close as is possible. But um, the whole sort of identity crisis reminds me a lot of Lost Highway, um, from David Lynch, um, in terms of like characters becoming different people and sort of integrating themselves into other people's lives but being the same person but also being a different person there's all that kind of blurring of yeah. identities yeah, and this happens yeah. with the main character of this film because you know after after you know his family is killed and he sort of flees into the city he meet he gets another man gets mistaken for him and killed uh, because they're wearing similar clothes and then he yeah. ends up sort of trying to look after that man's wife and child and the wife looks like his wife who was yes. killed. And it's like he's almost taken over this other guy's identity. Um, so there's there's a there's a blurring of lines there. Uh, and it just it just kind of this is what kind of gave me Lynch vibes in a way, that that sort of way that he likes to play with identity as well in like Lost Highway and obviously Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire and stuff. It's a very common theme in his films. Um so like I wouldn't be surprised if he was influenced by by this. I don't know if it, you know how far reaching Zulowski was in, in contemporary times. I know obviously now he's he's quite revered, but um I don't know if he was far reaching in the seventies, but if he was, like I wouldn't be surprised if Lynch and you know had seen this film and, and picked up something from it. Yeah. Uh, I will give if you guys would be interested, I will give you kind of my reading on the uh uh doppelganger stuff, but uh it's probably the biggest reach I can come up with, but it's about the only thing that makes sense to me. Hey, I got nothing that makes sense, so by all means. <laughs> so, yeah, do so it. One thing I noticed, uh, I've seen four of his movies now, um, and he obviously has a lot of thoughts about the Catholic Church. I think Catholicism was, a, was as far as Christianity religion goes, a major one in there. Judaism is obviously a major one in Poland. Um, and... The, 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 with the doppelganger stuff, it reminded me a lot of like the story of Job, where there's this whole idea that basically there's an adversary that says the only reason Job is very thankful for anything is because he has all these nice things like his family and, you know, all these things. So they kill his entire family and he gets a new one by the end of the story. Spoiler alerts for, you know, Job. Um, and that's kind <laughs> of what it feels like um, for me is almost like it's this weird replacement idea of almost like how, I would almost put it as like how he feels kind of about Polish government or at least Poland occupied Nazism is uh, they, they took everything away from them and their, their response is, well, here's a different one. Here's a, here's a new family here. It looks just the same. So what's the difference when obviously it is different. It's still, he lost his entire family. 
One one point to kind of just build on what you're saying that if that's true, then the Christian quote unquote Christian Nazis right were persecuting the Jews of Poland and kind of playing that role of God. Yeah. Right. So that's a searing uh, critique of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. Which could fit for sure. I, I, I mean, I, you kind of get that too. I mean, I don't think either one of you guys have seen on the silver globe, but he has a lot of thoughts about Christianity that come out very much in his, uh, in his film and really just religion in general. I don't know what his religious beliefs were. And, you know, it kind of goes into that McCarthyism of what's the difference between pessimism and nihilism. It's kind of thin, but he might be closer to the nihilism section of that than pessimism in a way. I think his religion is anger. Yeah, he, a lot. <laughs> he does have a lot. Um, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know if uh, I don't know enough to know if if that's his intent, but I mean, that certainly does fit with some of it. I, the only thing I would think to counter that would just be that I don't think that the character is portrayed as good in the same way that Job is first, but. Maybe that's just assumed uh, in the sense that this is a story about a Jewish man being taken over by an unfair God, if you want to use that analogy, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe that's just kind of assumed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to say because, I mean, Adam, you kind of brought up, it's really hard to read characters in this anyway, because, I mean, they are on such high emotions, like nuance. I'm not going to say nuance isn't something Zawaski likes. I mean, obviously he does a lot of surrealism and stuff like that, but character emotions he puts to the extreme so it's almost hard to read them like them as nuanced characters in a sense because they are very much defined by their how volatile they are in their emotions yeah like going by the two i've seen he has two types of characters the ones who are quietly insane and the ones who are loudly insane yeah um there there is no middle ground it seems <laughs> no <laughs> Everyone, there's like almost like the he believes like society is like this thin veil of depravity. Like society is the only thing that like keeps literally anything in line, and it's barely there. Yeah, I think that's something that's sort of you see a lot in in a lot of sort of writing and filmmaking that, and just sort of general philosophical thought. You know, what's mm -hmm. there's a, a very thin set of rules that are keeping us all from becoming depraved animals. Uh, you know, at any one stage, we're all just one moral sort of, um, sort of set of moral codes away from from killing and murdering each other. Um. So as he tries to set up life with this new family, his new wife, um, encourages him to go back into this trade of of using his blood to feed lice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so I. Uh tragedy and and shocking that this was a real practice i don't even know I, I can't even fully process that but i guess the idea was that the lice helped create vaccines for a, a disease that was going around or typhus i guess right and so for those who had survived typhus and if you could get tick that or lice that were hit um infected that would produce a stronger vaccine is that where like because that was like a big that was a promotion for him was that he could go now to infected lice right 
Yeah, like the idea is, I mean, it's kind of how we build vaccines now. You take um, the cell and you allow the body to learn to fight it off. And these people have already in, probably fought off the virus. So the good thing about if you're one of these people, you get extra rations, you get all these other things because they need you healthy. So you actually get an okay deal. You just have to have lice suck on you for a while. And they'll use they'll take the blood from the lice and make it into a help develop a vaccine with it. So if we were going to assume that he's kind of being somewhat poetic, um, I mean, darkly poetic, but but he's using this as like a metaphor for something. I was trying to pull from this, like it's this idea of like sucking the blood, sucking the life. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I was trying to figure out what he was what he was trying to use that for as for a storytelling device. I mean, maybe he just really wanted to show the the tragedy that the, the Jewish you know, population had to go through an occupation. I mean, it's uh, kind of a oxymoron in a way, right? Like we we associate lice with dirtiness. We associate it with uh, sickness. Yeah, and yeah. they're going to take it from these people. And in a lot of ways, these these are probably going to go to the Germans who are occupying the area in a lot of ways uh, to keep because, you know, typhus is running rampant in Poland at the time. So they're using Jewish blood to almost cure themselves of, the, of a disease in a way. I think it's just almost feels like a bit of irony to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly right. They're only being kept alive by the blood of the Jewish people. And they're not getting sick and dying uh, from typhus. So the Jewish are saving them. To kill them. Yeah, yeah. to help them kill them. It's almost like this weird catch-22. Obviously, he's going to do it because he gets extra food, he gets health, he gets paid. But it's a very short-term thought because he needs it. And that's just reality of the world. I wonder if the third part of the night could somehow be, because on the third, if okay, just sticking with Christian kind of mythology here for a minute, right? The third day was is a big day as far as like the figure of Christ coming back from death, right? Right. So do you think that if we if we play on the blood analogy, do you think that now having pure blood, it does this like a, it almost like restores the Jewish kingdom, like like it almost like uh, like there is no you know because the whole thing about German uh, it was it was this idea of purity, right? Yeah, and now it's a sock drawer in there, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe there's almost like I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch. I'm I don't think, think it, I, I mean, and that's kind of, I guess that's kind of a hard thing is he's just not going to give the answers. And yeah. so I think that's a very legitimate, I think it's very interesting, but yeah, it's, I think it's almost a guess because I'm not sure how much he ever talked about religion beyond his films. So it'd almost be like, I'm sure if you read something, you can maybe it'd help piece it all together. But I mean, I guess that's also the fun part, right? It's trying to figure it out on your own of what yeah, he's exactly. trying to say or what you believe he's saying. Yeah, no, I was just like, despite um, the, despite Ireland's reputation, I am not religious in any way, shape or form. So I don't have a clue in terms of religious stories and days of, of importance and all that crap. Um, but I was just going to chime in and say that I don't think anyone can say that 
when, when you have a film like this, which is surreal, and this is kind of the point of surrealism, I guess, um, and especially, you know, away from like, say, again, I'm going to bring up David Lynch. David Lynch often gives you the tools to solve his puzzles within the film itself, um, like with Mulholland Drive, for example. You're able to figure that out if you if you watch it enough, and you can kind of put the pieces together. Something like this is a bit more uh, standoffish and doesn't really want to give you any answers. Doesn't care if you know an answer or not. It's just it's it's this is the film. Enjoy it. And in a way, when you have a film like that, which is surreal to that degree, you can kind of make up your own sort of story as so long as you have you know bits and pieces you can take to support that which you guys have been doing you know with the with the different you know with the the third part of the night representing the third day that christ rose and purity of blood with the germans and all of that stuff it might sound like you're reaching but you know there's there's evidence based on what you're seeing in the film it's not like you're making stuff up or or filling in blanks um with, with information that you're just kind of making up yourself so um it's better than anything I came up with. I just thought it was just a weird trip. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, if uh, he was still alive and he would be able to say, probably say, yeah, it was just supposed to be a weird trip. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Future, future friend of the podcast, Andre Zulowski. <laughs> I like if I made a if I made a really surreal film, um, I I would say that just to pit, just to fuck with people. Um, like, but like Lynch has done it for not. years, right? Like, can you elaborate? No, no. <laughs> but he, he never comes out and says that, you know, he always like everyone remembers the no part, but he did say it's his most spiritual film. So that implies that there is meaning behind it. If I was someone like Zawalski, I would have come out and said, no, this film means nothing. There's no <laughs> subtext here. I just wanted to make some weird shit happen. Yeah. <laughs> and just watch and just watch scholars just like collapse in on themselves. They've spent, you know, countless years of their life trying to figure out what this means. And just nah. It was nothing. I just taught us some random shit and thought it was cool. Sometimes the curtains are just fucking blue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing that, um, <laughs> like I said, I largely enjoyed this film. Um, the performances are a bit weird for me, and, and that follows into, into into the next film. I, I I understand what you're saying about the performances and all that stuff. It doesn't really it doesn't really work for me a lot of the time, but I think they're a little bit easier to watch in this film. Um, but one thing that happens more in this film, but a little bit in the next one, so I'll talk about it here. The soundtrack is really fucking weird. Yeah, it's um, almost like a rock soundtrack at times. It's yeah, it's it's like something out of Dirty Harry. It's like really bizarre. It's like it just has no place in the film at all. It's just like this weird funky. It's just so strange for the type of film it is, and that carries across into 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 Diabel, which is even weirder because it takes place in like the 1700s. So there's no reason an electric guitar should be present on that soundtrack. But it just I just found it really weird, and I I yeah I don't know I don't know if you guys thought that was weird. I'm thinking oh, maybe it's just because yeah. they were maybe just didn't have you know the budget to go and hire someone to do like a proper orchestral. Um, score or something but i just thought that was so bizarre actually now that i think about it it was like something out of more like a like a giallo film like an art like an argento i was expecting goblins to show up on the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the on the credits <laughs> yeah uh, who knows I mean, maybe all the budget went into the 
filming and he had to make his own music or something who knows <laughs> you never i wouldn't be surprised because it was just it really took me out of it a little bit <laughs> i was like it's a bit weird and you know with all this dreamlike stuff i almost wonder if he's like no that would make too much sense if i went with an orchestra so what's the opposite <laughs> of that <laughs> i suppose you never know stranger things have happened all right, since we've uh, covered his first, a uh, year later, we got uh, Zolowski's second film, which is The Devil. Uh, we're in Poland. The only one I could say is Diabelle. Uh, this is about a young Polish nobleman, uh, Jacob, I uh, hope I'm saying that right, is saved from an imprisonment by a stranger in return. The stranger wants to obtain a list of Jacob's fellow conspirators. As he follows his mysterious savior across the country, Jacob is affected by the overall chaos and moral corruption. He goes insane and becomes a mass murderer. Yeah, that, that about covers it, I think. Besides, you know, the incest part. We hadn't, they, they neglected to talk about that. But Chris, uh, give us the, uh, <laughs> the, the list of where these place. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, they Shoot Zombies puts this just slightly ahead of third part of the night at 4,858. And They Shoot Pictures puts this quite a bit further ahead of Third Part of the Night. That was at 14,000. This is at 4,466. Oh, so crack the 5,000. That's cool. It is in the 5,000. Um, uh, yeah, this movie was a trip. I This is what I, I was kind of joking about, what happens if Cassavetes takes speed or cocaine or something. This one is what really clued that in for me i mean i think this is a this is a frenetic movie uh you i like that you use the term exhausted by the end of it there's so much going on at every scene not only with the energy but also with with characters and the way that they interact and who they are and what's going on um it's a real it's it was a puzzle <laughs> what y'all think of it yeah, and there's a lot of depth in like all of his scenes, like in the the backgrounds and stuff like that, which I think keep it very interesting. Like, there's just every scene has like a ton of stuff going on, even if it's yeah. not about characters or even about the story. There's there's yeah. just a lot to look at. Yeah, this one's uh, pretty bananas. Um, it's definitely hypes up the people screaming and shaking and shrieking every five seconds. Um, <laughs> I got an hour in. I, I literally only only finished this like just before we started recording. Um and I was like an hour in. I was like, oh my god, will these people shut the fuck up? Uh, <laughs> it was yeah, it was it was pretty hard to watch sometimes. It's just kind of like being stuck in a madhouse for two hours. Um but yeah, I didn't like it as much as as the third part of the night. Um the production values again, just as just to say incredible, really, really well put together movies. Uh, sets, costumes, really great. Cannot fault it at all for that. Um, I think the story might be a little bit more straightforward uh, than the third part of the night. It's still pretty crazy. And like we said, it's very frantic. It runs all over the place. Um, if you put it in its most basic form, it's basically a slasher movie, which I'm all for. Maybe it's why I like it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can get that. It's, yeah, dude. The world is crazy, and so the dude becomes crazy to match the world and starts hacking people, um, which is which is fair. Um, it kind of reminded me of a much more nihilistic version of um, 
just in terms of tone uh, of um, Valerie and her week of wonders. Oh, I can uh, totally see that. Why well, I, I picked that one too, didn't I? I believe I did. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just because of the time frames and stuff, uh, you know, with the costumes and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it just kind of reminded me of that in terms of the tone, but like way more depressing and nihilistic, as depressing as Valerie and Weaker Wonders is. More from a practical point of view, it's more sad, I suppose, uh, when you go into the filmmaking aspect of it. But uh, this this tone is, is extremely depressing, nihilistic. The world's a terrible place, and we're all going to die. Is <laughs> is essentially the vibe um, that that this film puts out. Um, but yeah, look, it's well made. The story is fine. The people annoy the crap out of me, and I, I kind of have I kind of struggle with it because of that. The overacting and and everything is just. I understand that's you know you you guys are saying that that's just his style. It just doesn't really it just doesn't really sit for sit, sit for me. Unfortunately, it just it wasn't my cup of tea. I I do think yeah, it I, takes. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Chris. You probably have something better than I do. <laughs> uh, I doubt that, but I I do think it takes the right actor to pull this energy off. Like you know yeah. Gina Rollins and Peter Falk in a John Cassavetes movie have the emotional intelligence and acting skill to pull off that uh, woman, uh, what is it? Not woman under the influence, but um, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Or, no, 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 you're right. Woman under the influence, Cassavetes, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown is... Almodovar. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, woman under the influence. Like, they can pull that off. And I think... Sam Neill and I mean I already kind of said this, but Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny can pull off his style. Um, I don't know that this was the right actors to do it. Like it, I think it came off like they were just kind of flailing around a little bit, as opposed to having some of the nuance that they needed scene by scene. Um, even though I I like this movie okay actually, I want to I want to talk about here in a little bit more depth and there's some specific questions I have, but. One one really thing, uh, I think y'all might appreciate this. My wife kind of is always in and out of, she doesn't really watch these movies with me, but she'll be around the room just kind of walking around. And this one played kind of about 20 minutes in and she kind of stopped for a minute and she was like, is it Zach's week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad your wife knows me so well. They <laughs> <laughs> said, yes, it is. Um, what were you going to say, though, Zach? Because I have some specific questions I wanted to to kind of drill into. No, and I, I actually don't necessarily screw. Even though I do like this better than Third Part of the Night, it is. I do think the acting is a little bit suspect. Um, I will say the guy who plays the stranger, I think, is definitely the highlight. I think he does extremely yeah. well. Yes, yes, but yes, he is yes. also the most reserved in the movie for the most part. Like he's very much a quiet. I think Adam, you're the one who mentioned quiet insanity, and that kind of fits him to a, a point. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I was going to guess which scene it is that Adam's referring to is probably near the beginning where, uh, his love interest is getting married to his best friend and she goes hysterical, like, because she sees him and thinks it's a ghost. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> and if I'm remembering correctly, that is Zulawaski's wife in that scene. So very interesting scene for her. Uh, <laughs> your wife. Interesting. First. Yeah. Um, okay, so just to kind of set the playing, because it's one thing to call it insane, but I think just to kind of go a level deeper and, and see like how confusing this movie is. So uh, we, we see Jacob 
or Jakob in prison early on. And there's this guy that comes in and it feels to me, it felt like in the beginning of the movie that he was being sent by somebody to go rescue Jakob, right? Or Jacob. Yeah. Because he had like this list and he's like, okay, like you're on the list. I need to find him. And then he showed that sort of like decree that showed Jacob's name on it to the army that was coming in. It was about to slaughter everybody in this prison, right? So they, they just barely pull Jacob out and they pull a nun with him, which didn't quite make sense at the time. Or maybe really ever. I don't know. Um, and then this this guy becomes almost like, throughout the rest of the movie, he becomes almost like Jacob's guide and like sort of a like protector, right? As he goes, because he just says, just go home, just go to your home. And when he goes to his home, then he meets his his love interest, his sister, eventually his mom. Dad, who are also yeah. his love interests. Yeah. <laughs> who also are all his love interests. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he he has this whole back and forth with his sister's uh husband or fiance, right? Who sort of comes into the house and is turns out might be his brother and then at one point in the movie we understand why he has so many brothers um his mom takes him down into a den and she starts talking about all the different sons that she's had with all these different men so he has a lot of brothers walking around there um and then can we talk about spoilers maybe we do it later but there's an important piece of information right in the last like five minutes of the movie my only thing is, does it make a difference? Like, if somebody knows the very end, does it does it really make a difference? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Like, I, I don't think you watch Zolowski to follow the plot. Like, I think you're watching it for an experience. And so I was like, uh, I don't think you can really spoil it. So there's two things, I think. One is his guide turns, he actually goes to an army at some point and says, okay, like, I, I did it, right? And they said, good job. Like, you saved him. And then the second thing is he turns into a, a wolf, right? So we find out he's been a, like he's a, either a shapeshifter or he's a werewolf or something in that, right? The devil. The answer to your question is the title of the film. <laughs> <laughs> he's the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that kind of makes sense. But what do you mean he's the devil? So when he turns into the animal, what are they? I guess they're just going to go slaughter the devil and then the village is saved then? Is that the idea? Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, I think it's interesting if you take, oh, like, okay. your mention and, like, the nun earlier. It's, in a way, Jacob has, like, the literal devil and angel on his shoulders sort of exactly. thing. Because what's yeah. funny is they both abandon him randomly through the film and then kind of come back when he's at a crossroads all the time. Like, I mean, his companion just leaves him. And just somehow finds him again, like repeatedly throughout the film. <laughs> like, oh, I'm here again. Don't worry. Let and, me um, tell you what to do. Earlier, earlier on, I, I mentioned that there was an aspect of this film that reminded me of Lost Highway. Um, and this is the this character, the stranger, um, who I like to call the Man in Black, in reference to the Dark Terror series. <laughs> um, he reminds me of the. The, the stranger in Lost Highway, who okay. also represents the devil. I don't know. I know, Zach, you've seen Lost Highway. Chris, have you seen Lost Highway? No, I haven't. Okay. okay. This is not a spoiler, but like 
so you know the mystery man in Lost Highway that the the weird dude with the pale face, um, who meets Bill Pullman's character. Um, I he's supposed to represent the devil, and there's a there's a part in Lost Highway where he hands the main character uh, a weapon to basically out of nowhere, just like shows up out of nowhere to hand a weapon that's used then to kill another character. I'm not going to name names just for spoilers for Lost Highway. Um, but I basically was seeing the same thing throughout this film. He always shows up to kind of lend him a helping hand with doing away with something or doing away with someone when he needs him. Um, from what I gathered, and again, this is still so fresh in my mind because I literally finished it like an hour ago, um, but in terms of the plot and stuff. So obviously we don't know he's the devil or whatever until the end, but essentially his character gets Jacob out of jail because he was co-conspirator for this plot to assassinate the king. Um, so Jacob knows everyone who was also involved and who is also complicit in that crime. So that's why he gets let out. That's He's basically set on a path to unwittingly become uh, an undercover cop, essentially, to kind of lead the mystery man, the stranger, back to everybody who was also involved, so the family and friends, etc., he then is manipulated by the stranger into killing them all, doing away with them all. And then he then knocks off Jacob to sort of close all the close all the loose ends. Everyone who tried to get the king killed off is now dead. Job's done. Chaos can reign. Blah, blah, blah. And then obviously the ending happens where it turns out he's the devil and stuff. That's essentially what the film is about. That's why I mean this one's a bit more straightforward. At least for me, being so fresh in my mind. I don't know when you guys watched it, but it's been um, about a year since I've seen it. But that's about what I remembered. Yeah. So that's that's what it seems to me anyway with the film. Obviously, this ton ton of mad shit happens in between all that. But essentially, from what I was able to read, of this is this stranger is essentially manipulating Jacob the whole way through the film as the devil on your shoulder would do, into doing away with everybody who was involved with this assassination plot. And that's why he sort of meets up with the soldiers at the end to say, you know, the, the job is done. Because um, everyone who was involved with the conspiracy is now dead and the, all the loose ends are tied up. And, if and, he, and that's the reason he pulled him out of jail, because he needed to go back to the village and take care of everyone there. But exactly. To, yeah, 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 yeah. Couldn't just do it himself. You know, he needed someone who who knew everybody. So that's why he got him out, because, yeah, yeah. you know, he was part of the plot. He knew who else was involved, you know, his family oh. and friends, et cetera. And then he was, it was he, obviously he knew that his sister was getting bet the crap out of by his half-brother, uh, who's also his sister's fiance or husband or whatever, and he knew that his his fiance was um, going to be marrying his friend. He, he had all this information, so he knew how easy it was going to be to manipulate him into becoming this kind of madman. Yeah, and it, it, it does work out for him because, like, everyone, like, it, it, none, it's almost like none of the people who are co-conspirators are very thankful that he pretty much took the fall for all these people. Like, he was the only one, as far as I can tell, that was arrested. Um, and he was content with just kind of sitting there and not selling them all out. And then he gets back and it's like, oh, well, it's going to be real easy because none of them really care. Oh, that's true. Yeah, good point. Um, huh. Well, this that, that actually helps a lot. I bet that would be even more clear on a rewatch as well. What uh, What was up with the very casual incest? Just your standard run of the Middle Eastern European incest. What of it? Because I was trying to think, you know, uh, 
Spank the Monkey is uh, is an early 90s kind of dark comedy about incest. Vinegar Syndrome recently put out the Taboo series, which is all about that. Um, but I think this is the first art house picture I've seen with such a casual acceptance, like, or like where it was just, un, you know, because it wasn't like there was some confusion. Like he was like lusting after his mom pretty hard. <laughs> Until he came to his senses. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he, he screamed mom and then they both freaked out. And then she yeah. came back and went for round two. Well, it's almost like if you're going to talk about like moral depravity, like I guess, you know, the only thing I can come up with is it's showing how depraved he's becoming that, you know, uh, this hedonistic, let's just have sex. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter you gave birth to me. That's cool. It it does its job. Um, That's the only thing I kind of get from that is it's just really showing Jacob's, Jacob's depraved, like how far he's descended at this point but i don't know it could have been something that was going on before all this i'm not sure oh wait a minute no no, no. He, jacob was the, the devil that's what we just decided right no jacob is the main character the devil doesn't have an actual name uh, the stranger oh, oh it's the well. guide it's the guide uh yeah. no no never mind i was gonna say because then she's the mother of the devil but that doesn't that doesn't make sense then never mind i mean i guess you could always like if you can figure out a way to say that it's really almost like this development of lucifer to the devil sort of thing i guess you could probably work something out to where he's the actual character but i just feel like at the end it kind of like it doesn't leave that ambiguity of who the devil is supposed to be referring to in the title by the end in my opinion but i'm sure it could be there no 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 i'm not trying to make it layered i just got the faces confused so the the guide is the devil um yeah um, never mind it i don't know because she's as the mother of the devil that would make sense for a lot of reasons as far as like having all these kids from all these different men and having her you know but anyways i don't know that that, i'm back i'm back to being confused (laughs) yeah like i think it just comes into what we talked about earlier regarding like the apocalypse and you know once you remove all social constructs it doesn't really matter and both of these films kind of show the world teetering on that edge of the apocalypse where society is completely collapsed you know what's normally taboo and not taboo is completely irrelevant and uh, everything is purely driven by animalistic sort of impulses you know i will take my because i agree with you 100 percent, adam but i'm gonna take my shot in the dark about the incest thing i don't know <laughs> if this was a thing in poland like it was with you know the Habsburgs and uh royal families of western european um uh, but the incest thing is kind of interesting because that's such a, he was attempting to assassinate the king. There's almost like this, it's fine for them to do it. It's not fine for the lowly peasants to do it sort of thing. And almost like this double standard thing. I am pulling all this out right now. So it's probably completely wrong, but. Polish, Polish listeners, uh, let us know how, how incestuous your royal families were. <laughs> was it, was it as bad as it, uh, in the West? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's my my understanding of European history is that the the royals just love to stay within the family. But it's just Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah blood exactly. purity thing. Actually, we we're talking about third part of the night, so we got a we got a connection here. Yeah, that's it. They're both about pure being pure of blood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then what about his sister? Maybe same thing. It's just all all bets are off. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty sure. much. Yeah. Who cares? At this point, if you're fucking your mom, you'll fuck your sister. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> 
have we have the, we have the title of the episode, folks. <laughs> Thank God. I'm sure the I'm wondering what I'm sure Apple won't send that back immediately. <laughs> like you can't do that. Episode eighty one. If you're fucking your mom, you might as well fuck your sister too. Great. Oh god. Word from the um, wise from Zachary K. Bryant. Ladies <laughs> That's some Virginia logic right there. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I feel insulted and yet I'm I don't have anything for that. You had that one. Touche. <laughs> oh man, it's too funny. Uh okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because you know the funny thing is again, I, I know Adam, not to not to um exclude you from this. I know you haven't seen it, but you know, although possession was weird and frenetic, it felt so much more like like the like you you kind of talked about this, Zach. Like the ideas were so much more well formed. I think, like I you know, I left possession and like really wanted to talk about it and wanted to figure out different moments and. Like there's that insane scene where she kind of has like an abortion in the subway station. And like, there's all this crazy stuff that goes on, but like. Sounds fun. Or the guy who kicks the decapitated head and doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff goes on in Possession. You guys are really selling this movie. Dude, watch Possession. Subway abortions, kicking heads. Sounds fun. We haven't even got to the, we haven't even, (laughs) like, we haven't even got to the like slimy sex monster. Oh, okay. Um, you have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. <laughs> um, but I feel like those the ideas in that movie are just so much more well formed. Like I, I you know the thing I struggled a little bit with third part of the night and with Diabelle is like I I don't know that I I really am gonna like do the legwork to figure out what he was doing here. Like I enjoyed the movies. For me, I, you know, I'm glad I saw them. It it felt like he was still trying to find his voice a little bit. Like, for sure, he's amazing at production design, setting up the costumes, the sets. Might might need some help with music. <laughs> um, and, you know, he likes that frenetic chaos. To, and, and, you know, capturing that, I guess, as part of his storytelling. But it, it just feels like he's, you know, he's like on his way here. Like he hasn't quite nailed it down as tight as by the time he got to possession. And I've heard on the Silver Globe is excellent as well. I haven't seen that, but it is. And the big warning, and I'll keep this short, is with that is it's an, an incomplete film. It was like eighty yeah, percent done yeah. before Polish government took it from him. So he has parts where he just narrates what's supposed. Hey, he's like, hey, this is what was supposed to go here. Also, fuck the Polish government. Uh, that was pretty much all of his segments. <laughs> Interesting. But I thought, was this the film that he left Poland for France, or was it after On the Silver Globe? It was after, well, it may have been this one, because technically On the Silver Globe doesn't come out till 88. Yeah. And, um, well, it doesn't, he doesn't make it till then, if I remember correctly. And then this one, Poland does not allow this to be released for like 17 years. Yeah. Um, because they, they don't know, basically from what I understand is they didn't know what it meant, but they felt like it was anti uh Polish government. So they were like, we're not releasing this. So it didn't get released till like 85. Um, so he he did all sorts of things. I, he was in Germany for a while. He was in France. I think he probably made more movies in France than anywhere else, from my yeah. understanding. 
And you you talked about Valerie in the week of winners. I think he was actually originally born Czech, right? And then he ended up in France. Uh, I mean, in Poland. I'm and actually going to check, but I'm not sure. I remember reading. Yeah, I think I remember reading that he was actually born Czech. So maybe he has more uh, in common. Born in Lviv, which is now in technically now part of Ukraine. Oh, oh Ukraine. That's what it, Ukraine. That's what it was. I'm sorry. Yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I got a little mixed up. He made uh, Diabell in 72. He actually made On the Silver Globe in 75. So after Silver Globe is when he will leave Poland. Okay. And they won't release either of those movies till the 80s. Yeah. So yeah, they moved to France, made oh. Possession, made a bunch of other stuff. Okay, so. here it is. Went to, left Poland in 72, went to France, had success with the movie called The Most Important Thing is Love. Oh yeah, I forgot he did that in between. Took that success, went back to Poland, made on the Silver Globe for two years, where they interrupted him, and he had to go back to France. Uh, and then uh, I guess he took the footage with him, and so he could release all those movies in, Fr in France later on. There we go. Okay. Interesting career. I mean, it's, it's really no wonder it took him so long to gain much of an audience, because, I mean, it doesn't sound like he was given a lot of help. But I, I, I'm still confused by the amount of funding he got I, I don't know if there's any information on where he got his money but somebody must have really liked him i don't know yeah because yeah, i mean he he definitely had money to work with or he was just really good at stretching a budget honestly i have the same question for a lot of art house directors like if you see some of the set pieces that fellini built i mean like they're very expensive or like some of the battle scenes that kurosawa put together I mean, we're not talking about hollywood money right and, and, you know, later in his life, Kurosawa had money from George, um, Georgie Porgy, what's his name, George Lucas, and that, but that was for like a small, that was because he couldn't get any money anywhere anymore. But like for, you know, for a lot of these art house guys, like, they're, I don't know where they're getting money from, because they're, some of this stuff is very elaborate that they're doing with, assuming just government money, but they don't get millions and millions of dollars from these government funds, right? Yeah, I would assume not. not. Yeah, because it's not like um, it's not like you know with Bergman, right? Who like got most of his funding from like the the Swedish film industry, but like yeah. he was just making films like you know just in a house on an island. Exactly. It wasn't an elaborate set, so like you don't need major budgets for that. But like for something like this, where you have like armies and horses and building old towns and villages and stuff, like you need major money for that kind of thing. So yeah, um, yeah, maybe maybe Andre. Got his money from sus sources. I guess we'll never know. He was the Tommy Wazow of his age. <laughs> yeah. Don't know where he got his money, but he got it from somewhere. <laughs> Something to do with jeans. <laughs> uh, just one final note I'll give on this, um, and it's very, very brief. Um, the actual, the the actual restorations, or you know, the the cuts of these films that that are on the website. Watch these on EasternEuropeanFilms.com immaculate absolutely um, yeah. i'm wondering if you know the release that eureka is going to do for these if it's going to be the same cut or if they're going to because they obviously haven't said if it's going to be 4k or just normal blu-ray i don't know if they're going to try and do anything extra but i don't think they have to they were both immaculate prints um really 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 good looking and um the stream itself was really really solid no buffering the bit rate was good um that was the first, this was the first time I'd actually used this subscription that we bought as a collective like over a year ago. It's the first time I ever actually used it and I was really, really impressed. Um, so I'll, I'll probably have to use it a bit more often than I do.
yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where they got it either. Um, but I don't know if this is stuff that Mondo Visions has done because they usually do restorations for his stuff or where it came from. But it's it really does look good. Mm-hmm. They specifically put. Uh, see, if I can find it quickly. I'm back in the site. It's EasternEuropeanMovies.com, by the way, just for what it's worth. Um, not films, but um, uh, they specifically put. No, 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 it's fine. Just in case anybody wants to find it. Um, but uh, they specifically put HD on the image for it. So let me see. So they they went and found a you know a new scan. Because the only um, um, place that had done this, I think Japan has a Blu-ray of these of a, of the trilogy of his Polish trilogy. But I don't know if they're using that because I don't know of anyone else who's restored it. I assume Poland may have at some point because they're. Well, both both films open up with the same logo of a Polish film company um, that I don't yeah. really know. I don't really you know understand what it says. Now, whether that's the original producer or whether that's like you know like a restoration company, I'm not too sure. But both of them open up with the same company logo. Yeah, I know, yeah, um, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was a few letters. Yeah, looking forward to um to Eureka's release. It'd be nice to actually own these and to see if they do anything different. Hopefully we get some nice special features with them as well. Yeah, I hate that he's uh passed away now because I know Mondo Vision's got like interviews and commentaries with them and stuff. So I don't know if they were able to get that before he passed, but it'd be nice if they if they if they can work with them to see what they were able to get beforehand. Yeah, you might be able to get some archival stuff. You never know. Um there could have been stuff he recorded previously that hasn't been released. Um so yeah, fingers crossed. Eureka are normally very good with their special features, so I would have no um, I would have no fear that what they put out is not at least decent. Yeah, can't wait to. So, just out of curiosity, Adam, what are we watching next? Uh, I thought I'd keep this director run going. It should have been three in a row, other than the mishap we had with uh, Man BTD up um previously, but um, I'm gonna keep the director run going, and. I'm not doing this to annoy you, Zach. I, swear, I don't believe you. I don't even I believe promise, you a little bit. <laughs> I'm not doing it to annoy you. I'm doing it because it's a director that I really love. And I know you haven't seen any of his films, but you have an idea of what his films are like. And I'm I'm picking films that I think will hopefully make you change your mind on that. Um, so viewers, you might have been able to guess. Um, I, I'm going to be doing a Jean-Luc Godard week uh makes sense you know he passed away recently um nice to give him a tribute uh, i've picked a couple of films that i think just represent him as his best filmmaking um you know he has a lot of films that are deemed revolutionary like breathless for example i'm not choosing something like that i'm choosing some films that i think offer his best actual filmmaking um now, I'll let you guys decide because I was kind of there's one film I'm 100% choosing and then I was trying to choose between two others, but they are all reasonably short. I don't know if you guys want to do three films or if you want to just force my hand and make me pick one out of the other two. Um, I'll let you guys decide what you prefer, like the timing of the films is the one I'm definitely picking is an hour 23 minutes. And then the other two are an hour 43 and an hour 35. I don't know if you guys will have a time to fit in three. What's the first one out of curiosity? So the one I'm definitely picking is Vivre Savi, uh, My Life to Live. 
Uh, all these will be on the Criterion channel, by the way. Um, all the ones that I'm potentially picking. Uh, that is an amazing film. I think it's probably his best film. Um, has one of the best acting performances ever. Um, so that's one. I, I made this joke with you before, actually, Zach, when you had put two or three things I know about her in a in a poll that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told you that's, that's not even his best film about prostitution. And it's because Viva Savi is his best film about prostitution. Okay. Uh, I like prostitutes. So I respect it. Yeah. So that's one that I'm 100% picking. Um, so do you guys want me just to pick one other? Would that be easier for you? What are your other two options out of curiosity? Okay. Well, I can let you choose between them if you want. Yeah. Uh, so you can be, you can be your own worst enemy if you don't like the one you pick. Um, so the first one is one that me and Chris actually watched relatively recently in the film club, uh, which is Contempt or Le Mepris, um, which is really, really beautiful film. If you like, it's not at all like it's kind of like the opposite of Iber Savi in terms of its uh, visuals. It's made in what's that really wide scope, Chris? What was it again? Cinescope or something? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, but it's yeah, extremely that, wide screen. That really wide screen, you know, that like uh, that Sergio Leone used to use. It's shot in that. It's uh, quite meta. It's set on a movie set. Um, Fritz Lang plays himself, you know. So okay, um, and it's just basically about a, a writer and his wife and their marriage kind of going to shit over the course of a couple of days while while trying to make a, an adaptation of the Odyssey, and there's all kinds of um, there's this asshole american uh producer played by jack palance who just sticks his nose in everybody's business and just tries to ruin everybody's fun um so that's one of the options the other one is a bit more in line with his more freewheeling films uh and i i, I would pick this one just because i think it's fun uh, it's band of outsiders or band apart um which is where quentin tarantino got the name of his production company uh, band apart um and it's just basically about these two these two sort of no good guys meet this naive girl all in an English course and it turns out the naive girl lives with her really rich aunt and they try and convince her to help them steal a bunch of money from her um, so very easygoing crime caper um, again that's that's the one that's an hour 35 so that would be the shorter one between that and Contempt but I think Contempt is the better film but Band of Outsiders is maybe a bit more fun Contempt is very serious we'd be pairing two very serious films together with Beaver Savi and Contempt Whereas Viva Sophie and Band of Outsiders kind of gives you two different outlooks. I am okay with doing three if we if Chris would also want to do three. I suppose Chris, you've probably seen all of these and we saw Contempt recently, so you probably don't even have to rewatch that one. I probably yeah, I probably wouldn't watch rewatch Contempt. I mean it's fun, but yeah, it's fresh. Um Band of Outsiders, yeah. I mean if if the choice is to do three, I'm all into it. Um, Band of Outsiders is very fun. I don't know if I'm biased. I kind of like Godard anyways, but Band of Outsiders is a very fun movie. I like that movie a lot. And let's just be clear. If I watch all three of these and hate them, I never have to watch Godard again, right? Absolutely. I will. Every time you mention any bad word about Godard, I won't roll my eyes. Um, Because at least you will have now seen the movies. (laughs) And you're seeing three kind of different types of movies so i think you're getting a very good understanding of his 60s early 60s work obviously he sort of changes styles so much throughout his career but i think these three movies do a very good job of summing up his 60s early 60s output uh, apart from watching breathless but i think breathless is just talked out at this point i don't think there'll be any point in watching it and talking about it yeah and um, yeah. i think these three are we'll have a bit more fun with them well if i like it it'll true font will get my wrath after this then 
That's okay. True Fun's very hit and miss for me, so I'm okay with that. The only thing I'll say, Zach, is I, you know we we all do this. We all watch the movies like the weekend before we talk. Um, it might be, if possible, it might be a good idea to space these out just a little bit. Um, not not like not like starting now, but I'm just if we if we're planning on talking in two weeks, maybe starting at least three or four days ahead of time, just to give because they're all different, but like they all have share some similarities. So. I, I don't want there to be any fatigue that builds up just because you had to, you know, fit five hours of movie into the morning before we talk. Or something. <laughs> I will um, try to avoid doing that. And yeah, I will I mean, also I, say these are not heady in any way. Um, no. You're not going to have to do any research on these movies. They're very straightforward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fun. Viva Sevilla is, I haven't, man, I haven't seen these. Well, except other than Contempt, I haven't seen these in a long time. So I'm excited to revisit this. Yeah, I saw Viva Sevilla relatively recently. Now, when I say re- I say that, it's probably been about a year and a half, two years. But I haven't seen Band Apart in about five years, and I really, really like that film. So I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting it. If we do, if if it's a thumbs up on Godard, at some point I want to revisit um, Le Petit Soldat here in this group. Yeah, that was a weird one. Um, I, I've only seen it once, and I, 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 yeah, I was a bit, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not gonna go too deep into it. That was a bit of a weird one. But I'll wait until we get the thumbs up and on Godard <laughs> before I recommend more Godard. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Sounds good, guys. Well, thanks, y'all. It would be fun.